You are listening live to the Aquatic Wetline Radio Show, hosted by a fish keeper for fish keepers. What's swimming in the tank today? What tropical fish are we talking about today? Let's dive into the fish tank and find out. We'll see you right now here on the Aquatic Wetline. Enjoy the show. Water fish. 
My second guest is the Discus Man, Hannah Pearl Aquatics, Willie T. He'll be here on the Aquatic Quit Lines three-year anniversary. Our next guest is Donovan Barger, my fish-keeping friend. And my final guest tonight is Pets Plus fish guy, Mark De Niro. This is going to be Mark and David's first time ever on Aquatic Wetline, and I'm very honored to have them here on my show tonight. Plus, besides our wonderful guest, there's going to be Tropical Fish Facts and Tropical Fish Chat and much more. So, would you like to chat fish? Call one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and chat tropical fish on this wonderful show. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to start today's show by discussing how the aquatic wetline was created. Now, I joined Blog Talk Radio in December of 2012, and I started with a cooking show. If you guys don't remember, the cooking show I had was called Chef Cardinelli Cooking Show, and I became friends with a fellow podcaster who is no longer doing a podcast on Blog Talk Radio, had him on my show a few times, and then we got into uh, a fight, and then I decided to part ways with him. Long story short, he was doing his very own tropical fish show here on Blog Talk Radio, and I always wanted to do a fish show, but I waited to ask him if I could do my very own fish show, but his fight sparked my interest in doing my very own fish show, so to get back at him, I decided instead of arguing with him, I'm just going to go ahead and create my own fish show. So I came up with a great title, which is Aquatic Wetline, and I began working on the show. It took me about three months to plan the show and then start it. So on August 28, 2013, I finally hosted my very first fish show. But even if this fight did not happen, I have still done and created a fish show called the Aquatic Wetline. There's always been a lot of controversy surrounding how the aquatic wetline was created. And over the years, I kind of dodged the situation. But tonight, I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is, the reason I started the aquatic wetline was because of that podcaster. And I also wanted to do my very own fish show anyway. I'm a stubborn Italian, so if I want to do something, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I kind of also wanted to do a fish style, or excuse me, a fish show my way and have some fun with the fish keepers because I like to talk about fish much differently than other people do. And I think I provide the fish hobby with a good quality fish show. And I was succeeding at a cooking show, and I said, hey, why not try a fish show? I'm sure I can succeed with that too. And I have so far. So that is how the Aquatic Wetline was created three years ago. Now, I want to tell you my original plans for the Aquatic Wetline. 
My first original plan for the aquatic wetline was to have freshwater only shows. And that was because three years ago, I hadn't even thought about entering the saltwater hobby. And I wanted to make the aquatic wetline geared toward the freshwater hobby because a lot of the shows that were on Blog Talk Radio were kind of divided in the middle. Most were towards saltwater, but there were some that had freshwater shows, but only focused on guppies and live bears and all the small freshwater stuff, so I decided to create my very own podcast that would focus on monster fish and all the freshwater species. I also planned to have fish profile shows where I gave out information on certain species. Now, this show originally was going to be set up like a YouTube channel where I would have short podcasts, like maybe 10 to 20 minutes long, but after debating, I decided to do the show like I did my cooking show, and thankfully, it has been very successful. So, let's have an outlook of the aquatic wetline over the last three years. In 2014, aquatic wetlines slowly became popular and successful. We had Akari as a sponsor. Akari Tropical Fish Food sponsored the aquatic wetline in 2014. I had the crayfish man James Jones as co-host. There was three fish store live on location broadcast in 2014. I broadcast from the Days Pet Food City Fish Room, School of Fish, Inc., and Fish Frenzy Tropical Fish. Now, in 2015, aquatic wetline was very popular. Later in 2015, aquatic wetline turned into Aquarium Talk, the podcast, and by demand, yes, you the fish keepers begged, aquatic wetline was brought back. 2016, aquatic wetline is still very popular. As a matter of fact, I am quite surprised that this show, Aquatic Wetline, has up to three pages on Google. If you research Aquatic Wetline, you're going to see three pages of results. Very, very proud of that. As you guys can see, this page is now all fish shows. Ladies and gentlemen, this Blog Talk Radio account is all fish shows now. I switched from American Variety Network to Aquatic Wetline. And the reason being, I'm going to try to make Aquatic Wetline bigger and better by getting sponsors, finding quality, knowledgeable guests, and coming up with some never-before-seen fish podcast. I think I was overworking myself with the Aquatic Wetline, excuse me, with the American Variety Network, and now I can just focus on tropical fish and do what I love, fish shows, with the Aquatic Wetline. So after tonight's show, I'm going to take a two- to three-week hiatus to plan out some shows. But, Fish Keepers, here are some shows to look forward to. Species Saturday returns to the aquatic wetline. In 2014, my co-host, Crayfish Man James Jones, came up with this wonderful show. And now I, Aqua Alex, am going to be bringing this show back. One Saturday will be a saltwater species. The next Saturday will be a freshwater species. I'm going to do some Halloween tropical fish keeping shows, like the top 10 scariest freshwater fish, the top 10 scariest saltwater fish, etc. 
something I never did before in the history of Aquatic Wetline. I'm going to do some goldfish shows because, believe it or not, I'm kind of getting interested in the fancy goldfish, and maybe I'll set up my very own and my very first goldfish tank. I'm going to do different species of cichlid shows, different species of catfish shows, monster fish shows, and something I've never, ever done before, I'm going to do dwarf fish shows because even the little fish deserve Love. I'm very happy to announce that the awesome series, Life in the Amazon, is going to return to the aquatic wetline. On this particular series, I focus on all the animals, aquatic animals and aquatic reptiles and aquatic birds and aquatic fish, of course, that live in the Amazon. That was a very popular series, and that will be coming back to the aquatic wetline. I'm also going to do a series called Life in the Oceans, where I'll talk about all the saltwater creatures that live in the ocean. I'm also going to do a show called Setting Up a Saltwater Tank, Maintaining a Saltwater Tank, etc. Same thing for freshwater. There's a lot of interesting shows coming up for the Aquatic Wetline this year. Now, Aquatic Wetline returns September 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific with our very first Species Saturday since 2014, and I'll be talking about the saltwater flame hawkfish. So, here is my goals for the Aquatic Wetline for the next three years. I would like to provide quality tropical fish shows, provide some good information for fish keepers, and provide fun fish chat for everyone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our very first guest on our three-year anniversary of the Aquatic Wetline. Very, very excited for this guest. It is actually his very first time on Aquatic Wetline, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Now, he is doing something very positive for the aquarium hobby. He actually has a Facebook group called Christian Aquarium Hobbyists that combines the Christian religion and the tropical fish hobby. So without further ado, I would like to welcome the owner and founder of the Facebook group Christian Aquarium Hobbyist to our show tonight. Hi, David. How are you? Very well. How about you, Alex? I'm doing great. Very excited to have you here on the Aquatic Wetline. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. It's exciting to be part of your celebration. The three years, that's a that's that's excellent. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I'd like to begin by talking about your wonderful group. First, I'd like to say thank you for letting me be a part of the group, and I'm uh, blessed that you're able to let me post my shows there. So tell us about why you started the group and what your plans are with it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I got it started because um, I... I'm very excited about the aquarium hobby. I'm re-entering it um, in the last, I guess, two years now, uh, after having a hiatus of over 30 years. um, uh, When I used to have it 
uh, quite a large number of aquariums when I was in public school and high school and in the beginning of university and then I had uh, reptiles while I was at university. And um, so uh, with a break there, um, when I re-entered the hobby, we, before there had never been something like the Internet. It, this was, <laughs> We're going back a ways now. Uh, there, it was all pre-internet when I was in the uh, hobby before. And I was fascinated with how we could get all this knowledge and pool our resources and everything. But I was quite disappointed with uh, some of the bashing that went on and some of the uh, derogatory comments all the time and and that kind of and the you know some of the drama that goes on and and uh, and then of course people putting on inappropriate pictures and all that kind of stuff and. So I decided, well, if I want to have something that I like, I guess I'm going to have to do my own thing. And one of the things that I've always liked was being able to have not just sharing knowledge about the the hobby, but also developing a relationship with the people that are part of the group. Some of the groups are really huge, and you kind of just feel like a a number, you know. Um, It's hard to make a relationship there and so um, I, I decided on the Christian Aquarium hobbyists where we could, um, if people were Christian. I mean, we've got people who are not Christian. We have we have atheists. We have um, some Muslims. We have we have a, a whole gamut of people on in our group. But the 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 group does not apologize for saying that we are Christian. And what that enables is there's a certain amount of expectation of how people uh, are with one another. And I think it, without even having to enforce the rules very often at all, uh, people approach it in a really nice way and we're, we're supportive of one another. We pray for one another. We uh, hold up each other's concerns as well as also talking about the hobby. And when people have concerns, we just talk about that and share our passion and post pictures just like any other uh, aquarium group does, and, and it's just been really well-received, uh, well and we're not a huge group by any means, but we're, we're a, I would consider ourselves a fairly tight-knit group anyway. That's awesome. So all of our fish-keeping listeners out there, definitely check out Christian Aquarium Hobbyist Group on Facebook. I must tell you that it's a wonderful group, and I think you're going to like it, so make sure you go ahead and join that group. Now, when did you enter the aquarium hobby? And if you remember, what was your first aquarium and fish? Oh, boy. Um, I guess it goes back a ways. Um, I think that when I first started out, I, you know, I had, um, pro- I think it was a, t- I think it was a five-gallon tank. Uh, or a 10-gallon tank. It's hard for me to remember. It's going back a long ways. And, uh, you know, went to the local fish store and got, uh, you know, your kind of community fish. But it wasn't very shortly after that I got into brackish water and um, uh, really enjoyed that. And uh, uh, I had bumblebee gobies and spotted puffers and and scats, and uh, I, then I got into archers, fish, and then finally mud skippers before I uh, kind of got out of the brackish water. Uh, I was in it probably five, five or six years, I think. 
and uh, oh, nice. I even got I even got lucky a little bit. I got to uh, a pair of puffers to breed uh, very unexpectedly, and and one actually survived. And the same happened with my bumblebee gobies. I um, I'm not sure if I was I guess I was doing something right um, at the time. You know, I was pretty young, so I wasn't paying attention like people do now to all their um, parameters and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I'm not sure, you know, looking back, uh, if I had if I had really been planning it, whether I could have done it as well as the, the way it happened. And so I got uh, two little bumblebee gobies to survive, and I got one little spotted puffer to survive, and my pet store that I went to locally gave me credit for, for some new fish with them. So uh, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I never, ever kept brackish water fish. I heard brackish water, water fish are pretty awesome. I have a saltwater tank now, and I, I have fresh water, so maybe sometime down the road I'll have a brackish water tank. Yeah, I, I found brackish water um, where I grew up in southern Ontario, which is kind of, um, you know, above Windsor and or above Detroit and, and across from Buffalo. Kind of, If you triangulate those two, I was kind of in that part of Ontario and Canada. And uh, um, uh, the water there was quite hard and um, quite alkaline, and so um, brackish water really suited well, and um, they just thrived. And uh, the archers were, were really sweet. My my mom used to have to come through where I kept all my aquariums to get to the freezer to get food for you know, preparing meals and that, and she wore glasses, and the reflection of the light off her glasses made the archers always spit at her, and they would always hit the same part of her glasses every time. And for the longest time, she thought the roof was leaking. And then we figured out it was the <laughs> archers spitting, and they could, they could spit nine and a half feet from, from where the light hit her glasses to where they were in the tank. It was nine and a half feet, and they got her same spot every time. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it was really cool. And then the other part that was cool was the mud skippers. You can, they can come out of the water, and you can train them to go through tubes and climb little things and stuff in order to get food. And so I had set up a couple of PVC pipes and a little thing they had to climb over to get food. And, and oh, man, they were, they were really cool, too. But the archers were probably the most fun of all the fish that I had that were brackish, the and and even freshwater, really, the, the the archers were just oh, I, they were really cool. That's awesome. So, what would you say is your all-time favorite fish? Oh boy. Um, well, there's the the archers, the mudskippers, and then um, I'm now I have discus. And uh, in spite of the fun that I had with the archers and the mudskippers, uh, I would say that the discus have been the most rewarding. Um, they're just, I don't know, they're just so beautiful and graceful. Um, they're a lot of work, but uh, they, I really like them. Uh, they have this front-of-the-tank kind of engagement. It's like they really want to know what's going on outside the tank, and uh, I really enjoy that interaction. That's, you know, not many fish you can put your hand right up in the tank and they you know, a lot of fish will scatter and stuff, but discus, you can put your hand up to the tank, and if, and you know they're doing well, because you can put your hand up to the tank, and they won't, they won't scatter. They'll, they'll actually get curious and come closer, and uh, that kind of engagement really, really thrills me, and when I 
feed them, I can pet them, and they like being petted, and, and that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, discus are actually pretty awesome. I used to have a, a 75-gallon Amazonian tank with discus and angels and some tetras. I'm glad that you like discus. Discus are a very beautiful freshwater fish. Yeah, they sure are. But um, if you're looking for unique fish that aren't saltwater, uh, like um, like you have, um, I, you know, people don't know a whole lot about brackish, but I, man, they were they were just so unique. They're all so very different, and uh, so they can make for some very interesting conversation pieces. That's definitely true. Now, did you know that scats, monos, green spotted puffers, and other brackish water fish over time can be converted to salt water? Yes, and in fact, that was that was the part that as a little kid I, I wasn't really, you know, fully aware of. I mean, I, I did read books uh, and stuff, but, um, you know, I was pretty young and thinking, nah, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eventually each of them would, would suffer because I just didn't make it salty enough for them. I was putting three tablespoons per gallon at one point, um, I think that was the ratio, or was it three tablespoons per 10 gallon? I, I can't remember. So no, nobody quote me on that. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, eventually they, you know, they they didn't like the fact that they were just in brackish. They, there was quite a few, I think, that probably wanted to move into the salt water, and I just wasn't ready for that. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting a green spotted puffer and a, a mono for my salt water tank and get them used to salt water. Yeah, you, you'll have to be careful with the green spotted puffer because uh, they can get kind of nasty. Um, the, what I did was, and you're going to laugh at this, but, but bumblebee gobies are your key to keeping puffers. Um, bumblebee gobies keep the puffers in line. <laughs> I know they're little small little guys, but wow, you put those two together and the bumblebee gobies don't take any guff from the puffers. And and if you want puffers to be a, in with other species, I always found putting in bumblebee gobies with them was helpful. If you just have puffers and then other fish, uh, invariably the puffers will 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 uh, nip at the other fish and bully them and carry on. But if you put a, one or two bumblebee gobies in there, um, they I don't know what it is, but they just keep those puffers in line. That's very good to know. Sometimes a fish or sometimes even a person needs someone to keep them alive, so that's very good to know. Yeah. You have to keep little, um, those little terracotta clay pots, the, the little mini ones for the bumblebee gobies. They like to have a little cave um, that is clean and smooth for them to hide in. And if you put a couple of those in the tank, they'll each claim one and uh and guard it mercilessly um and uh between themselves they they won't bother the other fish but but, but between the species in the species themselves bumblebees they'll they'll guard it from each other and then and then that gives them a place to hide um because they the way they hunt you got to the food's got to kind of pass right by them and they poke out of the cave and eat their food Awesome. Now, I know you mentioned discus a few minutes ago. Do you think yes. discus are actually hard, or is that a myth? Are, are they which? 
are they hard to keep, or is that a a myth that people are are spilling out? You know, I I think people uh, have a there is a bit of a myth about that. It's not so much that discus are hard to keep. Um, once they get to a certain size, they're they're pretty much like any other fish, and they're pretty resilient. Um, but discus are often sold at a fairly young age and a young size, and so they do need. Um, I would call them not so much hard to keep, just high maintenance. They need really clean water parameters, and if and if you're willing to put that effort into it, I think I think you'll be well rewarded. They need good quality food. They need sociability. That's another thing that people underestimate with discus. You know, a minimum of five to a school um, is a good way to start out. And and if you go with the rule of 10 gallons per fish, uh, then, you know, your minimum tank would be 55-gallon tank. Um, if you keep those things in mind, keep your, par- your parameters really good, you know, um, your nitrites, uh, sorry, your nitrates down to, uh, you know, below... 20 parts per million and uh and if you can keep it at that what whatever your water changes need to be to keep it below 20 parts per million um you know and keep your temperature up at 83 or 84 you you can do really well with discus um the thing is is people try to put fish in that can't handle that high temperature or uh fish that uh might you know bother the discus a bit um but uh you know i think that they're it's not so much that they're hard they're just you know you got to give them a bit of extra care and uh once you get them to four four and a half inches five inches um they they're getting close to being adult and once they're an adult at about five and a half i think it is or six uh then you know they're they're pretty resilient by then that is very true I actually bought my discus at four inches, and I had no problems with them. They were very, very healthy. So I think you're right yeah. about uh, buying them at four inches. You should be good to go. Yeah, I think people buy them too young. And and, and any fish that's young uh, take a lot more work than, than the more adult fish, you know. Um, and that's part of the thing about buying fish from pet stores. They're often sold when the fish are quite young and people don't realize that young fish need a lot of extra care uh whether they're discus or any other kind of fish but if but once this uh, once fish get to a certain size if if you can get them there uh you know fish are pretty resilient really that's true so how are local fish stores in your area <laughs> um i live in uh a rural part uh, kind of nestled in the Rocky Mountains, beautiful place to live, ski resorts all over the place. If if any of your listeners ever want to come skiing, we're the place to come. Uh, we've got five world-class ski resorts all in an area here. But fish stores, not so much. Uh, we, we have one that serves a population of 50,000, but we're a, only a town of 15,000 people. Um, and we have one pet store. And uh, they they try hard, but you know it's like any pet store. They have some staff that are are quite knowledgeable, and some that aren't so much. And uh, it makes it kind of hard. To, you know, they have a wall of tanks, and and uh, I would say about two thirds of those tanks are all on the same system. So if you get something in one tank, it's going through the whole bunch. So what I've learned with uh, you know the small pet stores like that, I like to keep them in business. So I try not to order online too much. 
but at the same time, I respect the fact that I have to take care of my fish when I get them. So I quarantine pretty much everything. And and I also make the practice of, I, I know when the new fish are delivered. They get fish delivered about every two weeks on a Wednesday. So I let my fish, the ones that I want, stay in the pet store for the week and a half. And if they survive that, then I, I buy them, but I still quarantine them when I get them home. And that's a very, very safe method for the fish keepers to use. I like to recommend all of our listeners out there to quarantine all your fish, whether they're freshwater, saltwater, or breakfast water. You betcha. And I quarantine the shrimp, the snails, the plants. I quarantine everything. And um, that way, uh, I just avoid a lot of disappointment for myself. I avoid a lot, excuse me, I avoid a lot of disappointments with with you know, what I get, I, I try to give everything that's not, you know, a fit. Well, even my fish sometimes. I give them what I call a, a you're going to laugh at this. I don't know, am I allowed to say this on the uh, PP bath? But it, PP stands for potassium permanganate. <laughs> and uh, I, give them a, I give them a bath in that, um, you know, whether it's plants or whatever. Um, plants, I just dip them in and out. Um, kill any snails off, but uh, fish, I give them about a, a two-hour bath in potassium permanganate, uh, and then and then start the quarantine period. Um, the reason I do that is um, kills any outward bacteria and fungi. But you have to kind of, you, you know, you, you put that stuff in, and you kind of got to guess, and it takes a bit of trial and error. But you just want a light, rosy pink color to the to the water is all you need for that um and then and then i continue on with my um uh quarantine period and i only treat what i see i don't if the fish are doing fine i don't i don't treat uh during my quarantine period um because i try not to have to do a lot of medicating you know it's it's hard on them it's hard it it makes for higher maintenance i I'm, I'm not so much as a lazy fish keeper as I just, you know, if it's not broke, why fix it? That's true. Have you ever had saltwater fish before? Oh, I would love to, but I, I'm always scared of the expenses. And, uh, I, you know, I, um, I've heard that it can get quite expensive, and I'm just... I'm just not quite there yet. I, I think when the when the kids have left and gone out of the house, I think that's when I'm going to go for that. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of expensive. Although there are ways you can get away with the cheap saltwater thing. Ah, I I would like to. Uh, the other thing is, is I've heard that it's easier to keep a bigger saltwater tank than a small one, and yet I'd love just one of those desktop little reefs with a little clownfish and an anemone and I'd probably be happier than a bug in a rug but I just uh, um, worried that with a small size like that if if it goes it probably goes out of balance pretty quick yeah that's true that the bigger tanks are are easier but if you do a lot of maintenance a small tank should be just as easy hmm So, fish keepers, make sure you check out Christian Aquarium Hobbyist, the wonderful Facebook group. I'm very blessed to to be on that group. It's a wonderful group, and 
I want to thank you, Davis, for being here on a three-year anniversary of Aquatic Wetline. It was a very fun chat. Oh, wonderful. It was it was wonderful to be here. I hope I answered all your questions. Um, and, uh, of course, if people want to have further details, our, our um, uh, Christian Aquarium hobbyists, we have... Uh, maybe along with maybe a couple of other groups, um, we have a very extensive file uh, section um, with all kinds of uh, documentation on, on various topics and stuff. And so if people have further questions about anything we've talked about, um, pretty much everything we talked about is, is uh, we, we can access files to, to help you out if you, if you want some written material on all that. Sounds great. Thank you for being a part of the celebration. Have a great night. And you too, and, and enjoy your celebration. Three years is is just excellent. And uh, and thanks again for having me on here. I feel quite honored and privileged to be part of your celebration. You're welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, we have some more guests coming on later on the show, as we have Donovan Barger, Sister Mary William T., and of course, Pets Plus Mark De Niro. All right, that was our wonderful first guest, Christian Aquarium Hobbyist, Facebook group owner, Dave Morton. Now I'm going to have a quick tropical fish chat with all of you. And right now I'd like to have a discussion on how aquatic wetline has helped me with my personal fish keeping hobby. Now one of the ways that aquatic wetline has helped me with my personal fish keeping hobby is that I've actually went out and gotten fish that I've talked about. For example, in my saltwater species shows, I talked about black and white Darwin clownfish, maroon clownfish, fox faces, triggers, and puffers, all fish that I personally have at the moment, and it helps me learn about those particular species of fish. It also goes for freshwater. When I was keeping freshwater, when I had freshwater, I researched and did shows about fish that I was interested in. So another way that the aquatic wetline has helped me with my personal fish keeping hobby is I got to learn about many different fish species. I've got to learn through other fish keepers with their experience and their opinions on keeping fish. So I've learned a lot from the aquatic wetline over the last three years. And also, I've kept fish that I thought would be too difficult for me, like discus, like saltwater, but with the help of some amazing guests and people I chatted with in the fish keeping hobby, it turned out to be a myth. For example, discus are not too hard to keep. They just need pristine water and a lot of maintenance. Now, I've also learned about the best aquarium brands through Aquatic Wetline. I've learned about brands such as Akari, Aquion, and Carib Sea. And because of the Aquatic Wetline and my many saltwater series, I entered the saltwater world, and I am now enjoying the saltwater hobby. So, a lot of people ask me, 
Alex, what is your favorite freshwater fish? What is the best freshwater fish that you've ever owned? And you know, that's a hard question for me to answer, but I do have an answer for you, and that's a wide bar silver dollar, Miley's Strumbaki. It's a silver dollar with a amber blue hook and a very nice wide bar with some orange coloration. Now, the wide bar sewer dollars come from Brazil and Colombia, and did you guys know that there are a lot of varieties of black bar sewer dollars? You've got your wide bar, you've got your thin bar, you've got a red hook sewer dollar with a wider bar. There's over five species of black bar sewer dollars, but my personal favorite is the wide bar sewer dollar. They do get pretty big, about Paku size. Well, actually a little bit less than Paku size probably about 12 inches, so they max out about a foot, but they're very beautiful. They look like a Paku, but they don't get to be two feet long. Very, very nice fish. I also enjoy Pike Cichlids, Oscars, and I also really enjoy my Matoro Stingray. I had a Matoro Stingray in my 150 a couple years ago, and I really enjoyed that fish. Now let's go to the saltwater side. I think the best saltwater fish I've owned so far is my gold striped maroon clownfish. I really, really enjoy the gold striped maroons. They are a beautiful looking fish. I would say in second place would come my one spot fox face. He's also a gorgeous fish as well. Now, saltwater fish I want to own. Flame hawk. I also want a flame back angelfish. I also would love a pink spotted washman goby. Well, this coming Thursday, I'm going to have the opportunity to own some of those fish because I'm going to be ordering from Blue Zoo Aquatics, who partnered with the aquatic wetline for a few times. This Thursday, I'm going to be ordering from Blue Zoo Aquatics. And I'm going to be getting a flame hawkfish, a pink spotted watchman goby, a flame back angel, a long nosed butterfly. And for my 29 gallon aquarium, I decided that I'm going to be keeping my 29 gallon saltwater display tank. And for that tank, I'm going to be getting a pair of Percula clownfish, a wheeler's watchman goby, and a fire shrimp. It's time for our second guest here on Aquatic Wetline's three-year anniversary. And it would not be our three-year anniversary without having this wonderful guest on our show because he has supported the Aquatic Wetline ever since it was created. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Discus Man Willie T to the show, a.k.a. Hannah Pro Discus. Willie, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, Alex. Uh, thank you for inviting me to be on your three-year anniversary show. I'm proud of you for sticking with it for three years. Thank you. I figured you were you were uh, special and a uh, special honor for you to be on the show today because you helped me a lot for the aquatic wetline. Well, thank you for the accolade on that. I appreciate that, Alex. Uh, yeah. Well, you've helped me as well. That's true. 
So on February 14th, 2014, I had you on the aquatic wetline for the very first time. We had met before then, and I remember we were both excited for the interview. Fast forward all these years later, we're both still doing aquatic aquarium shows. So what are your thoughts, and what do you like about chatting fish? I like chatting fish mainly because I love fish. Uh, Like the first time I went on your show, I had been in discus a very short while, but I was so passionate about the discus fish, and I actually uh, was uh, sent to you uh, through a a mutual friend of ours at the time, uh, M.A. Fish Guy, and uh, he turned me on to you, and uh, I approached you, and you invited me on your show. That was uh, when you had your co-host, James Jones, and uh, I got to know James Jones that time and after that as well, and I had a chance to honorably work with both of you since I was first on your show. So, yeah, you opened up the doors for me uh, to learn how to do podcasting as well. So I thank you for that. You're very welcome. Now, I know you have your own aquatic show called Aquatic Euphoria. So what was the inspiration for creating Aquatic Euphoria? Well, uh, the word euphoria uh, comes from euphoric, which means exuberantly happy uh, in a crazy sort of way. Uh, sometimes maybe not the uh, the sort of joy that the average person has. I'm really excited about the hobby. I, I love fish. Uh, it took the place of uh, a void in my life at the time. Uh, when I retired, I was no longer employed. I needed something to do, and fish just did it for me. Besides, you know, I'm bipolar, and I needed something to help me with that. And I knew that uh, other people had dealt with fish, so I chose to do that as well, and it's proven to be a very important thing in my life uh, for that as well. So, yeah, uh, keeping fish is a very good hobby. I really think that uh, elderly people, not, even older than myself, uh, even when they're sitting in their rocking chairs, should have a fish tank in front of them, and uh, to keep them uh, nice and comfy, and uh, you know, looking looking good at the at themselves, and the same way they're looking at the fish. And I, I think fish are a calming uh, species of animal. Uh, but, you know, source, of course, there are uh, some people that like the aggression of certain fish, like the African cichlids and such. And I know you're a monster fish keeper, and I've always kept uh, feeder fish. That's a personal joke between you and I. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I love the fish keeping hobby. And the word euphoric uh, and aquatics went together. And now I, I have a nice show called Aquatics Euphoria Life Behind the Glass, courtesy of uh, uh, Sam Scales. So, yeah, you've introduced me to Sam, and we've had our ups and downs over certain things through the years, and here we are today celebrating your three-year anniversary. It all goes together, fish keepers helping fish keepers. Yes, that's very true. I'm actually very, very glad and uh, proud of you to be working with Sam. He's a wonderful guy, and it's a great show. I, I tune in every time I can. It's a great show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I feel good and blessed to have Sam. I'm really amazed that he even uh, considered working with me. 
But uh, I'm so glad he is. Uh, I really enjoy listening to him speak about fish. He really knows what he's talking about. And uh, he straightened me out a few times about fish. So I really appreciate him for that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know as much as I think I know. <laughs> He'll let me know that. And I kind of appreciate that about somebody. That's very true. He did the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, Sam is Sam. That's true. So I know you are the discus man, so what are your favorite kinds or strains of discus? Well, right now I'm kind of partial to the Blue Diamond, uh, the uh, Blue Turquoise. I kind of like the uh, Red Marlboros. And uh, some of the pigeon bloods. And I found Hans Discus pigeon bloods to be uh, without peppering, where a lot of your Asians have peppering. So I'm sort of uh, getting close to Hans now. But I now realize that that I have uh, a great sponsor now, Discus R Us, and I'm going to be purchasing my discus through him now. And he has some excellent species of discus. And uh, uh, those are the species I like the most. Uh, I like to stay close to the natural colorations if I can, the browns, the tans, the blues, the greens, the heckles. Uh, as close to that, them colorations because they have been man-manipulated. So, but I do get caught up in the nice colorful uh, strains that are out there. There's over 130 strains now. Uh, it's unbelievable how many there are today, uh, Asian and, and uh, German bread. Nice. I like Discus Hands Discus, too. Discus R Us has some uh, gorgeous discus as well. Yeah. Would you ever consider keeping wild discus? Yes, that's my next uh, thing on my agenda is to keep some wild discus, even if it is. Uh, Because, you see, with wild discus, I can have a biotope. I can actually use some uh, catapod leaves, almond leaves, and drop the pH down to about 4.2, 4.5, have these wonderful fish. And, uh, you know, the difference between them and domestic is the pH levels. Uh, They've uh, bred domestic uh, discus now to where they can, uh, I know Hans has, to where they can live in uh, treated tap water up as much as 7.8, almost 8.0, whereas wild must be maintained down 6.5 or below. Believe it or not, wild discus are actually my personal favorite. I like the uh, teefee greens, the red spotted green, and the Allen discus. Yeah, yeah, the Allen is a beautiful fish. Yeah. You know, and if you buy discus that are like two and a half inches and they're very colorful, beware. They may be, they usually are injected uh, with food or eaten food with hormones. And uh, uh, that's why you get the deep colorations you do at that size. Usually a discus, uh, when they're around, especially fries, like a golden brown uh, they stay sort of that color until they get older and then older until eventually the color pops through. But a lot of people are, are getting uh, buffaloed into buying colorful discus when they really shouldn't be that colorful. You know, later on you'll have lots of issues. That's true. 
it's kind of sad that they have to inject fish like that, but it brings money into the hobby, I guess, for the fish stores. Yeah, quick money. Yeah, they got to move it. They get it in, they got to turn it over so they can keep the profits up and the overhead down. I can understand, and I'm suspecting buyers of these fish. I really like the colorations of these fish, so they buy them. Uh, and just like, you know, the glowfish and, uh, uh, you know, the dyed fish and all that, it, it's all money. But a real fish keeper uh, learns what to look for after a while. That's true. So let's talk about a fish that lives in the same area as discus, and that would be fancy plecos. So have you ever, or do you plan to keep fancy plecos? Uh, not personally. Uh, I've tried uh, the bushy nose uh, because they can handle the warmer water. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've done a few things against the grain, like mixing angels and discus. Uh, I've been successful at it for almost a year now. Uh, the only problem I'm having is fat angels, uh, you know, because they do like to eat aggressively. But I have a way of feeding the tank stock discus and angels where the discus do get enough food. But I'm deciding to change all that uh, because I'm still learning after three years of having discus. And uh, it's a learning process. It takes many, many years to actually know the ins and outs of the hobby. Uh, enough to the point where you can actually talk about it with authority. Uh, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I've tried to even teach a lot of misinformation, taking it for granted that it was true. Just because it's not on the just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Am I right, Alex? Yes, that's very true. I've had to learn that the hard way as well. But, uh, you know, the size of fancy Placos, uh, some of them don't get too big. And, and I, don't, I haven't studied much on the Placos except for the bushy nose. So, uh, you know, I like the bushy nose. Uh, uh, I like a, a DL, uh, I, I can't remember the number, but the one with the white spots on it, I kind of like that one. Oh, that's a very nice Placo, too. I think it's a snowball Placo you're talking about. Yeah. I'd love to set up a discus biotope with uh, some fancy pleckles, like a green phantom and a nice royal pleckle. That would be nice. Gorgeous fish. Discus are gorgeous, and the fancy pleckles are gorgeous as well. Right. So how is the fish-keeping hobby in the area where you live? Is it a popular hobby down there? Uh, well, it's a popular hobby, but as you know, uh, you have local stores like Petco, and I also have a saltwater uh, store for saltwater fish, uh, but nobody's dealing with discus here, so I'm attempting to uh, start uh, selling locally discus uh, now that I have my sponsor on discus, and um, I have a good discount with him and some good strains of discus I'm going to be getting in. Uh, I'm presently deciding to sell the ones I have, the angels and discus I presently have, to a lady uh, on the 2nd of next month. And on the 1st, I'm going to order my uh, 10 to 12 uh, different strains from Discus R Us and get them in and use that for display tank to hopefully get customers to see them, want them, order them, and I get them uh, for them and uh, be a broker on some discus as well as wait for mine to get to the point to uh, grow sexually mature 
and uh, get to the spawning point. Uh, you know, I've never spawned discus in my life. I finally learned how to do it, and I can't wait to actually get that accomplished. It is my last goal that I must reach with discus before I can claim myself more than just a novice discus keeper. <laughs> I think eventually you'll claim it. You've been trying for the last three years, so eventually you got to claim the, the throne of breeding discus. Well, it sort of helps to have the right environment, the right parameters, the right pH, the right current, uh, and the right foods. Uh, it, it's just a growing process. It's trial and error, too, sometimes. Uh, like I'm, I'm trying a new food. I'm testing a new food uh, that uh, I've gotten from a, a food sponsor uh, for the food. And uh, I did an experiment uh, by placing it in the tank a few times. They would never eat it in front of my face, but when I'd go back, it'd be gone. So I thought it was dispersing. But but I, what I did now is I took a bowl, a white bowl, put some of the food in the bowl, put it on the bottom, and went back a little bit later. They had eaten some of the food and left some of the food in the bowl. And then I went back a few hours later after I was discouraged, thinking it wasn't going to work, and most of it was gone. So, yeah, uh, I found out I've got to use this food in a bowl because if not, when they break it apart, it'll go down in the substrate. So that's another thing I have to realize. If I'm going to use this food, I have to remove the substrate. So when I get these new fish, I'm going to put them in a bare-bottom tank, rescape my 90-gallon, and put all the decor back in it except for the substrate, and I'm going to take off one canister filter, put in a couple more sponge filters, limit the flow on the left canister that I've left there, and uh, try to calm the water down some and see if uh, this helps in uh, spawning uh, a pair in the future. Uh, I have to save money for the pair. And the pair I'm going to get from Discus Hans. Ah, nice. Discus Hans has some beautiful... Discus. I know he's got uh, some beautiful adult Allen curve discus and Keefe discus. Yeah. So, so what would you want other fish keepers to know about Willie T, the discus man and the fish keeper? Well, I'm an old man of uh, only uh, 64 years, and I love the fish keeping hobby, but I also do YouTube videos. And I like to share my mistakes as well as my knowledge with fish keepers. Uh, unfortunately, I get a lot of comments and uh, bad publicity for one statement I made some time ago about how a beginner can have discus. But I still believe that to be true. As long as you find someone with the information that is absolutely correct. Now, there's a lot of information going out there that is correct. There's more than one road to get to Washington, D.C., and there's always more than one way to take care of a species of fish. Uh, and I believe uh, discus is one of those species that many people have, and they have their way of doing it. And if everyone would just share knowledge and not uh, think that what they know is the bottom line, uh, there'd be a lot less uh, fighting amongst fish keepers. I think that's a terrible thing going on in the fish community is the fighting that goes on or the 
people that argue about taking care of fish. I mean, if it's working for me, I must be doing something, whether it's my water or my technique or the food or, or whatever. Uh, don't just throw it all away. You know, just because I'm, I'm older than you does, doesn't mean I may not be right or doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I am right. Uh, it just means it works for me. And everybody should look at it that way. If it works for you, it works for you. Uh, don't cut somebody down that's a little different than you. Be be nice to one another, man, uh, and help each other. If somebody has a question and you've learned that three or four years ago, don't cut them down because they don't know that right now. Give them the right information, what you've learned about that. Don't bash them just because they don't know that answer. It, it, what do you think about what I just said? Alex. I think it's a very, very important statement, and it is very true. I know that there's a lot of criticism on some fish keepers in the hobby. Like, for example, I have seen beginners get criticized on Facebook groups by some experienced fish keepers, and I think sometimes the harsh criticism, instead of helping someone, it actually deters them from the fish hobby. They end up, leave, they end up leaving because they feel insulted, but that's generally not always the case. There are some good fish keepers out there who will actually give you good advice, like uh, Sam Garcia. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've seen uh, some people ask questions, like you said, and, and they've been bashed, and they continue to make the same mistake uh, because they didn't get the help they requested. And... Uh, uh, they keep searching, and in the meantime, fish are dying. So anytime someone asks you a question, give them the right answer or send them to the person that can give them the right answer. Save fish lives, man. I think all fish have a right to life. Um, that's why I don't even do a cycle, a nitrogen cycle with fish. I, I always use household ammonia with no additives. Uh, I believe every fish, even a minnow, has a right to life. So that's the way I feel about it. Yes, that's true. All fish lives matter. <laughs> Even feeder fish. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Even the feeders. So my last question for you would be, why would you recommend somebody to enter the aquarium hobby? Uh, well, like for some of the reasons I entered, like I mentioned in the beginning. But it's a fun thing to do, learning about life. Uh, in in an area where you can sit down and observe life. Uh, I think, uh, like, starting out with guppies or something like that, live bearers, uh, even the families with children uh, can learn a lot from watching the life cycle of guppies in an aquarium uh, without the parents having to, having to answer all the hard questions about life and death. Uh, it makes it a lot easier on the children to understand life and death if they could just watch guppies in an aquarium, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's definitely true. I agree with you on that. And uh, besides, uh, it, you know, you got to look at it this way, too. In the wild, fish have to hunt all the time for food and nourishment. In the tank, they're getting some of the best quality food today that any animal could ever have. It Fish keeping has grown so much in technology and the processing of food and the types of food. Fish live like kings in the aquarium if you take care of them like that. 
Uh, and I, I believe that the majority of fish keepers want to do that for their fish, but there are those uh, that think you can just go out and get your aquarium equipment, put water in it, put fish in it, and then they don't understand why their fish are dying, and they feed them just a regular flake food all the time. Of course, there are flake foods out there now that are definitely a balanced diet. So you can get away with feeding certain fish just a flake food, a good high-quality flake food, though, not uh, not your, uh, you know, uh, not your low-quality fish food. You know, you do get what you pay for. Yes, that's very true. So fish keepers don't buy any fish flakes from Walmart for a dollar fifty. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for being a guest here on the show. It was an awesome time chatting fish with you. Well, I appreciate it being on, and I enjoyed, you know, talking with you once again live on your show. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. That is Hannah Pro Discus, a.k.a. Willie T. Check out his show, The Euphoric Network, right? Right. All right. You have a good night now. Thank you for being here on the three-year anniversary. Thank you very much, and you have a good rest of your show. Good night, Alex. Thank you. All right, so that was our second guest, Discus Man William T. We've got two more guests coming up later on in the show. We've got Donovan Barger, who will be here live, and then we also have got Pets Plus Fish Guy, Mark De Niro. But first, it's time for our first Tropical Fish Facts. Did you know guppies, goldfish, plecos, oscars, tetras, live bearers such as guppies, platies, mollies, catfish, and African cichlids are the most commonly freshwater fish that are sold? Did you know that clownfish have become such a popular fish in the saltwater aquarium hobby? Now a big percentage of them are tank-raised, and there are so many varieties of them. You have different kinds of ocellaris clowns, like black and white clowns. You've got your platinum ocellaris clowns. There are different kinds of perculas, like the Picasso percula clown. Different kinds of maroon clowns, like the lightning maroons, the gold stripe maroons, and more. Speaking of clownfish, clownfish do not, and I repeat, do not require an anemone in a home aquarium. Anemones are difficult to care for properly. Do you know a proper reef setup with fish, corals, and inverts is said to be a lifetime investment and be very expensive, but it will provide you an ocean in your home. Did you know that LiveAquaria.com is one of the most popular online tropical fish suppliers available to the public? Did you also know by the time a new tropical fish enters your aquarium, it has been through more than three different moves. Once a tropical fish is caught in the wild or is captive bred, it is placed in a quarantine setup and placed there for a few days or weeks. Then the fish is moved to a shipping tank. 
The fish is then shipped to a big wholesaler in the United States. Seagrass Farms or Fish Mart Inc. are the most popular places. Once they arrive at the wholesaler, they go through quarantine again. Then they are once again moved into a shipping tank. Then they finally arrive at your local fish or pet store where they will be sold. Good local fish stores will always quarantine the fish and feed the fish. The fish are almost always usually stressed out and may develop ick. So always quarantine any new fish before placing them in your display tank. Stay tuned for more tropical fish facts later on in the show. Wow, time is flying by. We are already one hour and seven minutes into our show, and we still have a lot coming up here on the very first ever Fish Mania, our three-year anniversary of the aquatic wetline. Coming up next, we've got our very first live guest of the evening. We've got Donovan Barger coming on the show to be our third guest. We've got more tropical fish facts. And our main event guest for the evening tonight is Pest Plus Fish Guy Mark De Niro. We're going to take a quick break. Before our break tonight, I have a very, a very fun one for us tonight. So to celebrate our three-year anniversary, I'm going to play some of the best callers in aquatic wetline history. So let's get to it. This portion of the aquatic wetline is brought to you by the wonderful tropical fish keepers who have called into the aquatic wetline over the last three years. Let's take a trip down memory lane and play some of the best tropical fish callers from over the last three years. These three callers are the ones I picked for this year's show. The first caller is Shamu Aquariums from here to Brandon King. The second caller is Matt Moretti from Dave's Pepoon City. He's the fish room manager. The last caller is the owner of School of Fish Inc., Dave. School of Fish Inc. is a tropical fish store in Springfield, Mass. Now, let's hear the awesome calls. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to us is 16-year-old fish keeper Brandon King from California. Welcome to the Aquatic Wetland, Brandon, and how are you doing tonight, sir? Thanks, Aqua Alex. Pr pretty good to be here. I'm honored to have you here, and I'm, I'm glad to know that you're 16 years old and keeping fish. That's an honor. I started fish keeping at 13, so um, that's awesome. Yeah. I actually started when I was like five, but I only got serious when I was like 13. Oh, nice. So we, we both got serious and happy at the same age, so that's cool. Now, have you ever listened to any of the Aquatic Wetline shows before? Brandon, is this your first time? Well, this is actually my first time. I couldn't figure out a way to listen to them until I found out it was online. Oh, nice. Yeah, a lot of people are like that now, but I'm glad your first time is actually when you are a guest because that's awesome for you. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to try to listen to it as much as I can now. <laughs> well, that's great. Now, listeners, Brandon and I are going to ask and answer questions, and then we're going to discuss fancy plecos and roseline sharks. Now, Brandon, I know you have a fantastic YouTube channel. Would you mind explaining your YouTube channel to all of our listeners? Oh, yeah. So mainly that YouTube channel started out as like uh, – YouTube channel mainly for like SeaWorld videos and all that. And then my dad refer returned from Texas after a long break from the fish keeping hobby. 
So I set back up my old 40-gallon aquarium with, like, a red tail shark, two red tail sharks, a rainbow shark, plecos. I actually have that red tail shark today, big daddy. And also, um, I noticed all the YouTube videos of fish keeping, like, the Rick and all those other YouTubers, and I decided to post my own videos. It was like a dorky old 40-gallon aquarium. And then, like, nine months later, I had my 125. And then, bam, I started, like, rising in subscribers. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, at such a young young age, you got a 125. I was 14 when I got my 125 as well. Yes, all because of my dad. Because if my dad wasn't in the hobby, too, I'd probably have, like, a 30-gallon. Oh, that's awesome. So we're both very similar, which we'll we'll discuss later on in the show. But what is the name of your YouTube channel? Samu Aquarium. Oh, nice. So hopefully all my listeners will go and subscribe to your channel. I'm I'm a subscriber to your channel. I gotta say your channel is definitely one of the top five of mine. My top five favorite YouTube channels. Yours is definitely up there. I really enjoy it. Uh, yeah. I have watched many of your videos. That Oscar was awesome. Do you still have that one? Yeah, I still have him. He's actually in my uh, cousin's fish tank, but technically I still have him because I go over there and feed him and take care of him. Yeah, I would never, like, give my fish to family members. I would be freaking out every single day. It's good that you found somebody <laughs> related to you to look after him. Yeah, actually, actually, he's pretty good in the fish hobby. I taught him everything he knows, so that's good. <laughs> Yeah, my dad, like, has been in the hobby since he was a kid. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then my grandparents retired from the hobby. Oh, so your whole family was into the fish hobby. Mainly my dad's side of the fish tank. My other side of the fa- family is, like, completely opposite because they think fish are, like, the most disgusting creatures on the planet. <laughs> yeah, my dad is the one that got me started in the hobby. So, technically, we're kind of similar there. Yep. Awesome. Well, listeners, you fish keepers who are listening live are encouraged to call in live at 347-989-8142, dial 1, to ask a fish question to both Brandon and I, or to answer our questions that we will be asking each other later on in the show. That's 347-989-8142, dial 1. So we're going to get started here, but we're going to change it up today. Instead of us asking questions first, we're actually going to get into our discussion first. And we'll start by talking about a fish that I know Brandon really loves, judging by his Facebook post. So we're going to start talking about the Roseline Shark. And I know absolutely nothing about the Roseline Shark, and I know you're a big fan of them, Brandon. So would you mind explaining to me and the listeners a little bit about the Roseline Shark? Yeah. These Roseline Sharks, they have, like, the black line going through the body and then the red, the nice red line going halfway through the body. They are very like pricey for their tiny size. When you see them in the fish store, like probably like 15 bucks when they're like an inch long, but it's definitely worth it because in just a matter of a year, my biggest one grew from like an inch to five inches. So like you may think they're overpriced when you see them in a fish store and they won't look anything like they do when they're bigger. So you'll probably easily pass them up. They need a minimum size of 40, like 55 gallons, but 
but definitely go no smaller than 40 gallons or anything three feet. Our guest for tonight is Matthew uh, Matt Moriarty, who is the fishery manager at Dave and Agawam. So let's welcome in our guest today, Matt Moriarty. How are you doing today, Matt? Hi, how are you doing? Actually, last name's Moretti, but that was close enough. So how are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, not a problem, not a problem, not a problem. I'm doing well, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be here, pleasure to be on your show. It's my pleasure to have you. You're very experienced in fish keeping, so I figured you'd be a great guest here. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So if you have any questions for Matt or me, please feel free to call in at 347-989-8142. So what did you want to talk about today, Matt? Okay, well, I've actually got um, all sorts of stuff I can do. Um, meanwhile, we'll start from the beginning. A lot of people um, I deal with in, my sh- in the store where I work or in, in my line of career, I do pretty much uh, sales. I do mainly a lot of customer service, which is pretty much the most important thing to do. Um, and the main thing that I get a lot of is customers who have a lot of technical issues with their aquarium. Um, and you being the fish keeper, what do you think is one of the most technical, most common technical problems that a customer might have with their tank? Uh, what do you think? Uh, probably water perimeters. Is that a, probably water, the closest? That's exactly it. Um, the main thing that we usually run into is cloudy people calling, asking about cloudy water, um, asking about green water, asking about, you know, I've got a tank that's crystal clear yet all my fish seem to be dying. Um, that's one of the main things. And some of the main causes of that, there's a couple big big issues that usually cause that. First of all is if you've got fish that are always suddenly dying or if you've got a bad odor in your tank, um, the main thing is overfeeding. That's the biggest, biggest um, issue that one can have with their tanks, too much food. Because what happens is if you have a lot of ex- excess food that's uneaten, um, food actually breaks down, starts to decompose, uh, and that converts into ammonia and converts into nitrite, which, as you know, is pretty pretty bad for your aquarium. Uh, how do you think, what in your past, what do you think you have to do to control those parameters if you have a high level of either one? Do you think you would probably have to do a water change, correct? Yes. Okay, good size, partial water change. Usually rule of thumb is one-third water change. Um, every every time you do a maintenance, if you have a high level of ammonia, people forget that waste tends to build up in their gravel. Um, a lot of people that I deal with will come in and they say their tanks have been doing beautiful forever, and then all of a sudden they start dying. And then when I will ask ask um I will ask them how what they do to take care, how often they do maintenance, how often do they do water changes, and people will say, well, I just top off for water evaporation. Uh, that is probably the worst thing you can do. Water, you always top off for evaporation, but you never want to substitute for actually doing a physical water change. And when you do a water change, the most important tool that you need is the, is the aquarium siphon. Uh, if you've ever seen it, if you ever, I'm pretty sure you have one yourself. Um, that is actually a tube that actually has a fat end on one end, and it uses gravity to suck the water out of the tank into a bucket that you might have on the floor. Some fancier ones, like the python, will actually connect to the sink and use the water pressure uh, to run water from the sink. Uh, what it does is you want to use that siphon to actually force
I'm very happy to announce that today's guest is not only a great person, but as someone I can really consider a big help to my fish keeping experience and, of course, the hobby itself. And I'm sure he has helped many other people as well. Anyways, today's guest is the owner of School of Fish, Inc., right here in Springfield, Mass. Everyone, please welcome owner of School of Fish, Inc., Dave, to the show. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you for being a part of today's show. I'm doing quite well, Alex. Thank you very much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Now, before we get started, my dad kept telling me to make sure I mentioned this to you, so I guess I should. My dad was telling me that he has been he has known you for over 20 years now, and he remembers you being in the old shop. Now, I can remember buying very, uh, being very small and buying fish with my dad from you from five years old. Fast forward all these years later, and I still enjoy buying fish from you. So it goes yes, to show I rem- that you are I very- remember uh, helping your, fish, your dad with the fish for a long, long time. Yeah, <laughs> and I definitely uh, remember seeing you grow over all the years. Yeah, I feel like an old man now. <laughs> <laughs> but I was saying, it goes to show you that you are a very good fish store, and my dad and I have enjoyed and will continue to enjoy that you're you are awesome, Thank you. sir. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, you're you're a great fish guy. We 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 love having going your store and buying from you. It's awesome. Well, we we definitely try. We give it a lot of effort um, to help people with the hobby because it's something where people, a lot of times when they start the hobby, don't quite understand all the requirements that are needed as far as the, the time and the patience with it. Um, but you know, we're there to help, answer any questions about anything to do with the hobby, uh, and take the time to make sure that the people understand the answers that they're getting. Sounds good. So I'm actually eager to learn a little bit about you and your business, so I have a couple of questions like that for you to answer. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Well, my first question for you is, how did you get into into the fish-keeping hobby? Well, um, kind of uniquely, I pretty much had an aquarium in my home pretty much since I came home from the hospital as a little child. Um my family owned uh, James Tropical Fish, uh, which is actually in the same exact building that my store is in, uh, since the early 60s. Um, so I literally grew up in this hobby, uh, not only as a hobbyist, but also, you know, as far as the business aspect of it all. Um, you know, some of my fun childhood memories uh, definitely go along with, you know, going down to wholesalers with uh, either my grandparents or my cousins and, doing that whole experience. Um, so I really grew up having one pretty much my entire childhood. Um, and then I got into working with in the uh, family store and pretty much has stayed in the aquarium industry my entire life. That's awesome. I'm, I'm so jealous of fish keeping hobby. You do a wonderful job, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, do you keep fish personally at your house? Uh, normally I do. Right now I'm in the process of moving soon, so I brought most of my stuff into the shop. Um, but, yeah, reef tank, uh, planted tank with uh, some tetras and rainbows, that's normally what I like to keep at home. Oh, nice. So you have all the nice stuff. <laughs> I like the reef tank. <laughs> reef tanks are a lot of fun. Um it's a tank that you have constant growth and movement, and the, the color variety that you can get in a reef tank is 
truly spectacular. Um, it does definitely take a little bit more patience and time and care to it. Uh, and there's a lot more chemistry that happens in the tank versus, say, a freshwater fish-only tank. Tropical fish keepers of both freshwater and saltwater, you are invited to be a part of Aquatic Wetlines Group exclusive to the fish keepers and listeners of Aquatic Wetlines. The name of the group is Tropical Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook. On this group you can post pictures of your aquarium, your fish, and chat fish. There will be contests and more. So join right now. Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook. You are now tuned in to the one and only Fish Keeping Podcast on Blog Talk Radio that started it all. The Aquatic Wetline has something for you. What is Alex going to discuss next? Let's get back to the show to find out. Now, back to Aqua Alex. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the very first ever Fish Mania as we celebrate our three-year anniversary of the Aquatic Wetline. What a great show we've had thus far. Don't forget to join our new group called Tropical Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline. I just set it up today, and it's going to be a group where our listeners can share their fish tanks, their fish, their aquariums, and also ask any fish questions. All right, it's time for our third guest of the evening, and one of my personal favorite fish people that I ever have here on the Aquatic Wetline. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like you to welcome fish keeper Donovan Barger to our three-year anniversary. Donovan, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for being here, sir. Alex, man, happy three-year anniversary, dude. Thank you very much. I figured you would love being on the show, and I enjoy having you here to chat fish. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. That's, that's my favorite hobby, man. Can't get enough of it, especially talking with you. You can't beat that. That's true. I can't believe I've been doing this for three years now. That's a long time, man. You know, just to keep committed to something like that, that means something. It's definitely fun. I enjoy it, though. Oh, yeah. So I'm very excited. I understand you have a saltwater tank now. Tell us about it. Well, it's a uh, boat front aquarium. It's, uh, right now I've got an anemone in it. I've got some live rock, a clownfish, a six-line wrasse. I have a valentini pufferfish, and I have, uh, I can't even think of his name right now. Anyway, I have some gobies as well, which is pretty neat. It's kind of like i got some mid-swimmers, and then I've got some bottom-dwelling you know, dwelling fish and some sand sifters and it's pretty neat. That's awesome. So how do you like the saltwater hobby so far? Uh, I'm liking it. It's just a little frustrating because I've got, like, Carolina algae growing, and I've got brown algae, like, nonstop growing, and it won't stop. And I cannot get my uh, snails and my little critters to move the sand around enough to actually, you know, keep the sand looking white. So I think I need some more rock and some more... Uh, Sand-dwelling critters and fish. 
That's true. I have a little bit of burn allergy too, but it doesn't really bother me that much. I kind of like the look of it. Maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> well, see, I, I like the crisp, clean, white sand look, and I'm just getting kind of frustrated with it at all. And I, I just don't. It just doesn't look like that, you know. That's true. Maybe you should get a diamond goby for your sand sifting. I thought about it. I really have. I've given it a lot of thought. I, I just kind of quit buying stuff for it. Because I'm, I'm like, well, is this really the route that I want to go, or is there a different route, or do I need to get an RODI system, or you know, I'm just kind of a lot, a lot of different things I've got to put in the equation, I guess. That's true. Maybe an RODI system would be good for you, if you don't mind that, yeah. if you if you mind the brown algae. Yeah, I, I think that's what I'm gonna have to do in the future. Um, and so that way, I just put it in like a. 55-gallon trash can or something and then just fill it with that. I think that's how it's going to have to work. So how's your saltwater tank going? It's going really well, actually. Um, I haven't had any issues with uh, the 55-gallon display. My fish are uh, doing pretty good. I'm loving my gold stripe maroon, and I'm getting some new fish this Thursday. I can't wait for that. That's awesome. Are you going to keep every fish in there and then rehome them later when they get too big, or are you actually going to – thin your herd out eventually um some of them i'm going to keep for life some of them that get too big i'm going to rehome i know that my maroons can stay for life the flea mock can stay for life in the goby i'll probably rehome some of the larger fish and hopefully down the line i can get a bigger saltwater tank when i can get more time and my puppy grows right right i know you got the new puppy which i know this is a fish show but uh i've seen a lot of pictures i'm pretty excited for you she's cute little thing yeah, she's kind of cute. She's a beagle puppy. I love her to death. She's, I bet she's a handful sometimes, ain't she? Yeah, she is, but she's well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what made you want to get into saltwater? Oh, okay. Um, well, I don't know, really. I, when I first got into it, I wanted to do coral, and I didn't have an RODI system. I was using distilled water, and... I kept getting that brown algae really bad. And so that kind of frustrated me and sold everything. And then you were doing salt water, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to just do fish only and see what happens. And so uh, this is kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, it seems the fish only is pretty easy for salt water. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's not bad. I've seen a few cases of ick, but then I haven't seen any more since. So I, I'm con- kind of confused on how that works. <laughs> I haven't yeah, figured that out. Yeah, yet. it's kind of weird. It gets kind of weird in saltwater. It comes and then it goes and then it comes back again. It's never truly eradic- eradicated in saltwater, but as long as you have good water, you should be good. And you feed your fish good right. food for their immune systems. Right. I feed uh, the frozen food that I get from uh, Petco. It's like called, um, uh, re- what is it called? Marine uh, I think it's uh, yeah, reef frenzy or something like that. Yeah, and, and I mean they they do just fine with it, and then sometimes I just feed them brine shrimp, and they're good with that too. Yeah, we're well, all good food for them. You have the gold. What did you say? You have the maroon clown. Yeah, the gold striped maroon. Yeah, I have the regular the regular Nemo. You know what I mean? And oh, he, the old clown. Yeah, he's he's a beautiful little fish, man. He just kind of does his own thing. Don't bother anybody. 
Yeah, I, I love the uh, clownfish. They're very peaceful, except for the maroons, of course. What are they mean or territorial or what? They're they're territorial and mean to other clownfish, but they're usually fine with other fish. You can only have oh. one um, one maroon clown unless they're a pair. Really? So I mean, what, yeah, how would you sadly. find out if you if you could get a pair or not? I mean. They'd have to be a bonded pair. The fish store would, would sell them as a bonded pair. Oh, okay. I got you. They'd be a lot more money. <laughs> it's kind of like discus, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, Mike, I had a question for you, man. Whenever you've moved sure. from your 150 or 125 saltwater tank to your 55, was that a real hard transition, or did you kind of uh, – just kind of go with it. Actually, it was, um, I would say, kind of a sad transition because I actually kind of missed a big tank now. But it was actually was a relatively easy move. I used uh, some of the water, like 90% of the water from the 120, about 10% new water, and I used the same filter media, the same live sand, and the same live rock. So I haven't had any issues yet, and I think the fish are doing great. So it was an easy transformation for me. Well, that's great. That's great. I was kind of, I was kind of worried. I was, you know, because you got the big tank, you're going to the smaller tank, and usually, usually us fish keepers, we go from small to big, and I'm like, oh man, because I know the fish you bought that you had in there. I'm like, how's he gonna make it work? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I sold all the fish to get huge, like the tanes and and the grouper and stuff. All I have now that gets pretty, well, eight inches is the fox face in my puffer. Oh, so you actually got rid of some fish. Yeah, I, I gave them to a guy with a 300-gallon. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, they'll Dang. have a good home now. I didn't realize that. Well, I ended up getting rid of my 200-gallon, the 8-foot-long tank that I had, and I went to my cousin's 150-gallon that's 4-foot long, and it just wide, you know, and I ended up putting some Tanganyika and Africans in there. Oh, nice. What's this tank? Yeah, me and the nice. wife were talking later on down the road that we might turn this into a salt tank if we if we ever get enough money to do it. That would be a nice tank. Oh, yeah. I think it would be a blast. So what are your thoughts on discus now? Did you get bored with them? Uh, Yeah, discus were good. They, the, I didn't get bored with them. The, the problem with them was whenever I downsized my fish room, um, you know, they have clutches of 50 to 100 babies whenever they do have fry, whenever they lay eggs and things. And I had nowhere to put the fry, so I had to get rid of them. There was, it was just going to be me defeating the purpose of even having them to begin with. So that's why I ended up getting rid of them. I love the discus. They were gorgeous fish. Yeah, I see. They A lot of the cichlids breed a lot, but discus and angels have huge clutches of eggs. Yeah, and, and you know it's kind of it'd be kind of mean for me to let them have them. They've got to be with the parents for so long, you know. It wouldn't be right for them to be in that aquarium, and then you have all these other fish in the in the aquarium as well. I mean, it would have been way overcrowded for what I had them in. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think you did the the right thing. So, what is your favorite thing about the aquarium hobby? The favorite thing about the aquarium hobby, I think. It's the crowd of people you get to hang out with, the 
a crazy amount of fish that you have to choose from, and let alone if they're $1,000 fish to 50-cent fish, I think they're all amazing, honestly. Even They all have gills. They all have fins. They're all pretty they're pretty tranquil, and they, they really keep, uh, I don't know, they really give a good vibe off whenever you're just hanging out, taking care of them. And then you get the ecosystem, you know, you have to get the bacteria going to be able to handle the ammonia and things of that sort. To me, it's it's a really cool process all around. Even the breeding of fish is super amazing to me. Bringing life into this world is pretty cool to me. Even though that I'm I agree not doing 100% it, with you. but, you know, I mean, you get to watch it happen. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. I like seeing fish have babies. I haven't, I haven't actually bred anything except angelfish. And that's pretty sweet too, man. Like I tried, but they weren't having it. They were not having it. I guess I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, you got real lucky, man. What did you ever do with them? I sold them to somebody that was interested in in breeding angelfish, and um, I guess he he enjoyed them. He got a couple of uh, angelfish. Uh, Survivors out of them. That's awesome. He had a successful batch. Mine laid eggs, but they never hatched, but his did. May have been the water perimeters, too. You never know. Could have been a different temperature he had his water at, you know? Yeah. I had tank mates, but his didn't, so it probably was a tank mate. It could have been, yeah. I mean, they could have picked them off. You know, they didn't get to... I guess fertilize the eggs very well because of the tank mates and stuff like There's several variables to that situation. That is definitely true. I hope to get to meet you someday. I'd love to chat fish with you in person and go to the fish stores and stuff. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. I'd be down for that. That'd be <laughs> sweet. Too. Maybe go bowling. Yeah, that'd be fun, too. And now we both love bowling. Oh, yeah. That'd be a blast. Where do you say you live? Awesome. Where do you live at? I live in uh, Massachusetts, Western Mass. Massachusetts, Western Mass. That's cool. I, I looked up. You ever been here before? No, I looked up pictures though, man, and it looks beautiful. I think you're gonna love it down here. See, you can't really say down there because I'm in Texas. I'm down oh, here. Oh yeah, so it'd be, <laughs> so it'd be up yeah, here. Up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Man, you've had a really good uh, three-year anniversary here, man. I mean, you've got uh, crazy stuff happening, man. you got William T. on here. You had uh, Christian Aquarium Keeper on here, man. It's pretty sweet. Thank you. I figured I'd I'd have, like, a a fish version of WrestleMania. So this this is my version of WrestleMania. (laughs) That's pretty sweet, man. I'm digging it, man. You're doing a really good job on this one. Thank you, man. I want to thank you for being a wonderful guest tonight. Oh, dude, you're very welcome. I'm I'm honored to be on here. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We'll definitely have you on again. I'd love chatting fish with you. Oh, same here, man. I hope you have a great rest of your show, man. Thank you. I definitely will. It's fun chatting fish. Have a good one, man. You too. That was a very, very fun interview, and we're definitely going to have Donovan Barger on the show again. I'm planning on doing an African cichlid show with him, so stay tuned for that. So, 
it's time to get to some more tropical fish facts here on this amazing show. Feed your fish twice a day. Use small pinches of food each time to ensure that your fish eat. I recommend using high-quality flake foods, pellets, etc. Also feed frozen foods from akari, market shrimp, nori, etc. Since Finding Dory has been released, the demand for blue hippotangs has increased in certain areas of the United States. Most fish stores are now ordering blue hippotangs in bulk. This may cause harm to the ones taken from the wild. These tangs get really large, are ick-prone, and get ick quick and then die. However, I'm proud to say blue hippo tangs and yellow tangs are now being captive bred to help replenish the wild stock. Did you know lungfish can actually survive out of water for days? Snakeheads, walking catfish, polypaturus, and a select few other fish can survive out of water, but not as long as the lungfish. Here's a good one. Did you know it is bad for a puffer fish to puff up? It, it is a very stressful thing for them, and it can often lead to death. Limit the stress, keep the water pristine, and feed a, quiet, a, a quality diet. And don't make your puffer fish puff up. Now, this one's really easy. This is an easy fact. The Picasso triggerfish, my favorite trigger, is named after the artist Picasso. It is a very beautiful fish and is often the most popular fish that has artwork done. Here's one that not a lot of people know, but Paco and Silver Dollars are related to piranhas. Paco and Silver Dollars are the vegetarians of the piranha family. But Paku outgrow piranha. Paku get two or three feet, and most piranhas average at about 10 inches. Now, in home aquariums, piranhas are actually very skittish and mild-mannered. They still, however, have the power to bite a finger off. Those are all of our tropical fish facts for this wonderful show. Our final segment for our show tonight is our last wonderful guest. After this guest interview, we're going to wrap up this awesome show. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for our final guest here on the Aquatic Wetlines three-year anniversary. Now, our final guest is Mark De Niro from Pets Plus. He is the fish room guy at Pets Plus. I'm a friend of his on Facebook, and I see all the beautiful pictures of the fish that he gets in stock from freshwater and saltwater. So please welcome Mark De Niro to the show. Mark, how are you doing today, sir? Doing pretty good. How about you, Alex? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So if you don't mind, tell us what you do at the, the pet store Pets Plus. Um, I run the fish room at one of the stores, and then they occasionally have me kind of pop in to help out at other ones. So I do, you know, all the, the ordering of all the products for, for the aquatic section of the store. Awesome. So where is Pets Plus located, the one that you work at? Uh, my home store is in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Nice. That's awesome. So what is the best seller at Pets Plus, freshwater or saltwater? water? 
Oh, best-selling fish that we carry, you know, not including feeders, obviously, is uh, probably actually bloodfin tetras, believe it or not. Oh, nice. Those are actually rare down here in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, we have a whole section of of tanks of fish that don't require a heater. And they're in there, so they can, you know, they'll work in tanks with a heater or they'll work in tanks without, just at room temperature, you know, as long as they've got a filter and stuff. So they work out really well. That's awesome. Now, what do you guys stock for saltwater? Do you do fish only or do you do everything from fish to coral? Oh, we do everything from fish to coral. Um, have a uh, got a couple of tanks dedicated to, uh, a couple of tanks dedicated just for corals. Um, we got a 180 gallon bow front that I keep most of the larger stuff in, and then I have a frag table as well. And I have a couple of rows for salt. One of them I do keep copper in and run a UV and all that kind of stuff, and that's our fish row. And then there's also an invertebrate row that also gets things like tank raised clownfish and amphibious and a lot, you know, things that are a little more sensitive to copper and that kind of stuff goes into that row. Ah, very nice to know. Now, I know that this year the movie Finding Dory came out, so has Finding Dory brought a lot of customers in for fish tanks and clownfish? No, I'd say it really hasn't, actually. I don't think it's had the impact that Finding Nemo had. We're seeing, you know, a few people come in, you know, but I've only had a couple of people ask me if they could put Dory into, you know, a bowl or something, you know, a small tank like that. I think most <laughs> there's enough information out there now. You know, I think that the industry and the hobby is a little bit better prepared for this one, having gone through the other one. So, you know, people have really been pretty straightforward about, hey, not a beginner fish and ultimately going to require a large tank that, you know, that information is just easy to find. So we really haven't seen a whole lot of that. Actually, I really don't think I've sold any more blue tangs this year than I normally would. Well, that's good. So people are doing their research, which is definitely awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think, you know, so an what educated is your- customer is always the best one, so... You know, if they haven't done it before, we try to make sure that we educate them when they come in. That's very good. That's what I like about fish stores is they take the time to educate the customers. Yep, the good ones do anyway. That's true. So what is your quarantine process for both freshwater and saltwater? Um, don't really have a specific quarantine process. It kind of it varies by species. Um, there are some things that come in in fresh water and don't go into the system, you know, because they're they're more delicate or they need different water conditions than water in any of our systems. Um, I actually have three different systems set up for uh, fresh water. And then I have a 90-gallon tank for discus and another 55-gallon that I'll be putting up this week for discus up above that 90. And then uh, I've got several smaller tanks that are not on the system and a couple of 220-gallon tanks, too, so I can kind of house about anything anywhere. Uh, didn't use different types of water for different types of fish, and there are certain things that come in, and we just you know, we're going to hold them for you know x number of days or a week or whatever it is, depending on the fish, uh, before we start selling. You know, discus are typically one of those. Although honestly, lately our discus have been coming in so good that I haven't had to really hold them. I mean, they're coming in and eating <laughs> ten minutes out of the bag, so it's just been phenomenal. Uh, where it used to be that I held every discus for a week, at least a week before I sold it. Kind of the same thing with ostrich. We used to sell. We used to hold all the ostrich for a week before we started selling them. 
lately, honestly, we've been selling them within 24 to 48 hours because they've just been so solid. So it's been a nice change. And then on the marine yeah, side... Yeah, you know, are pretty hardy. Yeah, they can be, but they, they don't always ship well. And since most of those are coming in from uh, Southeast Asia, usually they're coming in from Thailand, um, you know, sometimes they're arriving in great shape and sometimes they don't. You know, and a lot of stores make the mistake of ordering the really small ones, which then if you're not really on top of them and feeding them multiple times a day, they just kind of waste away really quickly. You know, as small as the size I ever order in, unless I have a special order for small ones, it's three inches. Because at that size, they seem to be able to really handle the rigors of shipping and, and be able to hold up in a pet store environment. You know, and then marine fish, we get most of them in actually directly from overseas, um, whether we're importing ourselves or going through a train shipper. So, you know, at most they might have a water tank once somewhere along the way, but usually not. Usually they're coming in direct. So those go through a multiple-hour acclimation process of, you know, dripping water in or actually, you know, um, or pouring water in with them, mixing water. And I, I usually mix, you know, some type of chemical to control ammonia and stuff as well. Uh, so they're going to go through anywhere from, say, two to six-hour process to get into the tanks. And nothing is sold for at least the first 24 hours. And then after that, it kind of depends on the individual fish. Uh, some things are in good shape, and they're eating, and they're doing fine, and they look fantastic. And we'll go ahead and sell those after 24 hours or so. Um, other ones I may hang on to for, you know, a week or 10 days until I feel like they've really acclimated to being in a tank. I know they're happy and healthy, and they're eating well and, and doing well before they go home with something. That's very good. So what would you say is your best seller in saltwater clownfish? Well, it kind of it varies week to week. Um, we actually don't sell very many damselfish, which is kind of, oh, oh, always a never-ending source of surprise to me, having sold so many damsels in the past. I think we've just, you know, the hobbyist today is getting a little more discerning and, you know, understands a little bit more about what they're getting into and doesn't want those fish. Uh, they're also not typically using them to cycle. So probably as far as a group of fish goes, the one we sell the most is probably clownfish. Um, we also sell a fair number of uh, gobies and blennies and, you know, angels and tangs would be probably next groups. Yeah, the saltwater gobies are, are phenomenal, to say the least, and some of the blennies are very cool looking as well. The starry bunny mm-hmm. reminds me of a reindeer for Christmas. <laughs> Very much so, definitely. Yeah, neat little fish. They are pretty cool. Now, do you have an aquarium at your house? Uh, I have a whole lot of empty tanks at my house. Uh, right now, set up with stuff in them, I have two of the fluval units, um, the the, uh, the five-gallon units. I've got one of the freshwater ones and one of the saltwater ones. The saltwater one does not have any fish in it. It's just a pure reef, uh, a lot of different little corals and things like that. And then I have shrimp and crabs and snails and things like that. I don't have a heater in that one. So um, there's really not a good spot for one unless you put that in the tank and then you're going to see it. It's actually set up in, on a room divider, so it's visible from both sides. So it's really no good place to hide the heater. So I kind of made the decision on that one to stay away from fish. But there's enough color and movement in it. You don't really miss it. And the other one, the, uh, the other fluid tank, the freshwater one, is set up, you know, fully planted live plants and has a pair of wild bettas in it, a pair of uh, betta mahachai. Oh, that's pretty And then pretty I have cool. a pond. I, yeah, and I also have a pond and, you know, some tub gardens and things like that outside. Ah, oh, nice. I've never seen a wild betta up, up here in uh, Massachusetts. What do they look like? 
Well, there's over 90 species of them, and as a rule, the fins are going to be shorter than the domesticated forms, um, probably not quite the intensity of color you see on most of the domesticated forms, although there are exceptions to that. There's some that are extremely colorful. Uh, but you can get about anything you want in them. You can get a, you know, a fish that's peaceful and not going to bother anybody and gets an inch and a half, or you can get fish that get up to you know six or seven inches long, um, you know, have a really neat, cool finage. You know, obviously, better macrostoma being the holy grail of the bunch is, is stunningly beautiful, um, but it's a real challenge. You know, it's an extreme blackwater fish. It's not going to do well in tap water. Typically, when you get it in, you're going to have to really set a tank up for it, get ready for it, and, you know, over the course of several months, get it into your tap water. They'll breed once they're established at pH of 8, you know, fairly hard water, but initially, if you try to put them in that, they're going to look great, and then they're going to fall apart because there's too many bacteria in there that they don't have resistance to. So you've got to build that up slowly over time. That's some the wonderful information. Yeah, the other interesting thing on the wild bed is, is actually more of them are mouth brooders than are bubble nesters. And so everyone who's dealt with what we call betta splendens in the hobby, the domesticated forms, which are actually hybrids of all the fish in the splendid species complex, you know, those are the exception to all the rules. You know, the wild bettas all get along. You keep males together. You keep males and females together. You know, worst you're going to have is a nip spin here and there, has been my experience with them. But um, probably at least two-thirds, well, actually probably at least three-fourths of them uh, are mouth breeders. And different from your cichlids, which are more common mouth breeders in the hobby and have maternal mouth breeders where the female carries the eggs in the fry, in the case of anabantoids in general and bettas in particular, it's always the male. It's the male that carries the the, uh, the eggs and the fry, and you gotta you know make sure if you're breeding them that you're giving him some time to recover after you let them go, which is anywhere usually from about 13 to 21 days depending on species and temperature. You gotta let him build up his reserves again because he's not eating while he's eating them. Very nice. I'm gonna have to do some research on the wild bettas because they sound interesting. I have saltwater tank now, but I might set up a freshwater tank to to have a wild betta. Yeah, it's, um, you know, they, that really is probably the most fascinating group of fish to me in the hobby is, is the anabantoids in general, abandoned fish in general, but specifically the bettas, and then I'm really into, like, licorice dorames and things like that as well. Uh, you know, if you're looking for more information on those, we do have uh, working on getting an American Labyrinth Fish Association started. We're planning on having our first meeting at the Northeast Council Convention next year. So I think Gerald Griffin will be speaking at the convention, and then I'll be doing a talk at the at the meeting for the uh, for Alpha for the Labyrinth Fish Association. And of course, there's also the International Betta Congress, which does have a uh, pretty dedicated wing of wild betta enthusiasts. Very nice. So my last question for you would be: What would be your advice for beginners in the tropical fish hobby? Ask a lot of questions, talk to a lot of people, think about their responses, do what makes sense to you. This is still as much or more an art than it is a science. You can follow the science and you can, you know, do this and it works and it will work every time, but then somebody else may do what they think is exactly the same thing and it doesn't work. So if you listen to a lot of different people and you, you take their their experiences and things that work for them into account, but then you kind of do what seems to make the most sense for you, I think you're going to be more successful. And the other really key point is patience. 
Um, anyone who's patient is going to be much more successful than people who are not patient. If you're impatient and you rush, you put too many things in too quickly, uh, you always have your hands in there tinkering with things, you're always testing this, adjusting that. Those are the people, as a rule, that don't, don't do well. But you can get to that point if you get into some very high-tech things down the line, but for a beginner, no. Um, you really want to kind of just let things happen and just let the hobby teach you patience if you don't have it. And that's even more true on the saltwater side than it is on the freshwater side. Very, very good points. That's some wonderful information. I want to thank you for being an awesome guest tonight on our three-year anniversary. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm honored to be here. You're welcome. We'll definitely have you on again. I enjoyed chatting with you. Sounds good. Right, you have a great night now. All right, you do the same. Thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached the end of our very first Fish Mania celebrating our three-year anniversary. Before I end today's show... I would like to give some shout-outs to well-deserving fish keepers. My first shout-out goes to Hannah Pro Discus, a.k.a. Willie T, for being a loyal listener of the Aquatic Wetline and also being a guest numerous times, being a co-host, and believing in the Aquatic Wetline through our ups and downs. But I have to thank him for believing in me for the last three years. I also want to thank Donovan Barger for being a loyal listener. I also want to say he's a great friend of mine and a great fish keeper. Enjoy having him on the show. I want to thank Jeremy Stellhorn for being a fantastic listener. He loved the Aquatic Frontline. That's how we met, and I'm glad that Jeremy enjoys my fish keeping shows. I also want to thank my friend Jeff from Oregon. He has been a listener of the Aquatic Frontline for some time. I also want to thank Crayfish Man James Jones for being a co-host on the Aquatic Wetline and coming on as a guest from time to time. Thanks to Russell Sake for being a co-host a few years ago. I also like to thank Akari and Care of Sea and Blue Zoo Aquatics for partnering with the Aquatic Wetline over the last three years. And last but not least, I would like to thank all of you, the listeners, for listening to the Aquatic Wetline and all the support you have given the Aquatic Wetline. The Aquatic Wetline would not be successful if it wasn't for you. Remember that, folks. I, Aqua Alex, love you, the fish keepers who tune in and support the Aquatic Wetline. I'd like to thank all the Facebook fish groups that allow me to post my shows in their group, and I really do appreciate that. So, ladies and gentlemen, mark your calendars next year, Monday, August 28th, 2017, Fish Mania 2. We're going to have our second annual Fish Mania. Next year, we're going to celebrate four years of aquatic wetline. Cannot wait for that. Don't forget to join our new group, Tropical Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline, a new group where you can post your pictures of your fish or aquarium or chat fish. With that being said, I am Aqua Alex, and this is the Aquatic Wetline. Thank you for joining us on this historic night. We'll see you for three more years. Good night, everyone.
Thank you for tuning in to the very first Fishmania Live on Aquatic Wetline. It was an honor and a privilege to celebrate our three-year anniversary of the Aquatic Wetline with all of you, our wonderful fish-keeping listeners. Special thanks to Christian Aquarium Hobbyist Group owner David Morton, Miss Man Willie T, Donovan Barger, and Pets Plus Mark Denaro for being our wonderful guests of honor for this show. A big, huge, humongous thank you goes out to all the fish keepers who have supported the Aquatic Wetline for the last three years. Aquapolis and Aquatic Wetline promise to deliver quality saltwater and freshwater shows for the next three years. Enjoy your aquarium, and the Aquatic Wetline returns September 19th with the return of Species Saturday, where Aquapolis will chat about the flame hawk fish at 9 p.m. Eastern. With that, we wish you a pleasant tadu. Start spreading the news. Aquatic Wetline is going to be king of the hill and number one best in the world of fish keeping. Haha! Good night, everyone. Tropical fish keepers of both freshwater and saltwater, you are invited to be a part of Aquatic Wetlines Group exclusive to the fish keepers and listeners of Aquatic Wetlines. The name of the group is Tropical Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook. On this group you can post pictures of your aquarium, your fish, and chat fish. There will be contests and more. So join right now. Fish Keepers of Aquatic Wetline on Facebook.